This is the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. Hello, friends, and welcome to a Wednesday Wisdom episode of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. And if you're wondering why the J, the answer is I am not a bagpipe player. And if that joke doesn't make any sense, I encourage you to check out episode zero where I explain that joke as well as the purpose of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast. But as to today's episode, our Wednesday Wisdom episodes are this. I am sharing the audio of my sermons from the church I pastor, Evident Grace Fellowship in Fredericksburg, Virginia, as well as sermons from churches I have pastored prior, as well as sermons that I've preached at other places. And I'm sharing them with you for this reason. My sermons are usually not too long. They're between 30 and 40 minutes long. And by sharing them with you, it gives you a chance for some spiritual encouragement midweek. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's challenging and encouraging, like I said. And if it is, would you please send me a note at uh, gordon at jgordonnuckin.com or maybe even share this sermon online, Facebook, or on your Instagram story. I hope you enjoy it. So let's get to the sermon. ...apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Uh, In college, I had a friend named Tim Pinkard. Uh, He lives in Maryland. Anybody know Tim? That'd be random. But uh, everybody just called him Pinkard. And he was about two years younger than I was. We looked a little bit like each other, but he was way more handsome. And, uh, and he played guitar and sports, so there was a little bit of a rivalry, but we, we became good friends, and we were all involved in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And so if you were involved in a college ministry, it's about you just gotta, you're going to be gone in a couple of years, so you pour into the, the classmen underneath you. And, and so Tim and I became good friends and is now in ministry today up in Maryland, which is exciting to see just uh, the faith of college continue. But Tim is famous for uh, a, a very odd reason um, he was on the Sports Center top ten one time. Now, if you don't watch ESPN, they have a, a, a basically the nightly news of sports, and uh, they do the highlights of the day. But the top ten, as you can imagine, is the top ten highlights of the day. Tim does not play professional sports, uh, but he went to a baseball game, and I believe it was a Baltimore Orioles game, and a home run was hit into the crowd, and Tim caught the baseball. Now, this will happen every now and then when a fan makes an acrobatic catch or something, but this is not the case. Tim just caught it. The reason he made top 10 is because two innings later, another home run was hit into the crowd, and Tim caught that one as well. And so I don't know if it's ever happened in any other baseball game ever, but 30-plus thousand people in a crowd, 
A ball was hit into the crowd to the same person twice, and he caught both of them. And so I think he was like number four. I would give him number one. I think that's impressive if you're the first person to ever do something like that. But how random is that? I mean, there's 30 plus thousand people. Anybody could have bought a ticket. He just happened. He doesn't have season tickets. Those are the ones he picked. That's where he sat. Two home runs. They happen to go to the same space. If someone in here was better at math than I am, which is all of you, that would be like one in some giant number chance of how that would be possible. It's just getting something free for no reason whatsoever. He's like every other person in that crowd. He just happened to be there. And I thought, that's a fair, slightly inadequate picture of grace. All examples of grace fall apart other than just experiencing it. But the grace of God is, you didn't do anything. Grace is God's love, his favor, his forgiveness, his joy, his removal of your shame. And grace is that you don't deserve any of those things, but he just gives it to you. Because he's good, and he's faithful, and he's just, and he's compassionate, and And grace is, you don't deserve being forgiven, really. You don't deserve all this kindness. Apart from God's goodness, we're we're actually pretty awful people. But God just looks at you and says, I'm going to love you. And in fact, you couldn't even believe in me, so I'm just going to give you the faith that's needed. I'm just going to pour all that out on you. And so the very fact that you're sitting here singing these songs, and if you have faith in Jesus, the only reason you're doing that is because God decided for you to do it. He's just that good. It's like waking up in the morning and feeling great for no reason. When was the last time any of you woke up and like, wow, that's the best night's sleep. I feel so good. I don't even need coffee. Well, I feel great. I don't have a single ailment. Has anyone experienced that lately? Rarely. Right? This, <laughs> ever? Ever? I didn't mean to say, like, have you ever experienced that? There's a few of us, and it's pretty annoying when we wake up coming downstairs, like, oh, it's going to be a great day. But it doesn't happen for most of us. It's like that. God's grace is just surprisingly good and gracious. I feel better for no reason at all. I've been loved for no reason at all. That person's been kind for no reason at all, other than God is just good, compassionate, and kind to those he pours his love out on. That's Romans 3 this week. This is going to be our big picture question. I love it. The big picture question is, why am I happy? I didn't do anything. That's the question. Like, why am I happy today? Or why do I feel better? I didn't do anything. It's like spontaneous happiness is broken out today. Spontaneous feeling good is breaking out today. That's what God is going to do today. He's going to show us in Romans 3 that he's going to give you all of that and you didn't do anything to deserve it. And if the Spirit works, which you pray he does, you're going to leave here feeling better. Some Sundays we leave here like, whew, that sermon beat me up. My prayers, we're going to leave here this Sunday and go, man, that one really gave me some hope. But it's a tangible hope. It's not that, you know, go get your destiny kind of hope. It's like, no, real stuff that's going to stick with you kind of hope, okay? So here's our three points. My, I love these this week. Here they are. You give me a week off, I get creative. Uh, good grief. That's a Charlie Brown. Good grief. That's the first one. We've got to start there. Second, I'm a hot mess. That's the second one. I'm a hot mess. And third, which is going to be a lot of fun when I read some tweets, humble bragging. We get to talk about I looked up the 10 worst humble brags on, online, and they were fun. I had to delete a few of them. So I'm going to share a few I found. Let me give you some context. Some of you haven't been with here. I've been with us. Romans 1 starts with God is good, and everyone knows he's God. And no one has an excuse. Romans 2 goes into, hey, we all 
need God. There's not one group that's better than the other. And he goes, hey, Christians, you need to quit judging. And then non-Christians, you need to repent. And then three is going to move into like, hey, let's move into what it looks like to have a relationship with God. And that's where we are. That's where we are today. This is what it looks like to have a relationship with God. So let's get into good grief. Let's read good grief. I'm going to read uh, from Romans 3.21. But now the righteousness of God, and by the way, righteousness, we're going to define it this way. Right in the eyes of God. Whatever God says is right, that's righteous, okay? So from, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The context of Romans is that there's a young church and there's a lot of Jewish believers and there's a lot of non-Jewish believers who this passage is going to call Gentiles. Sometimes they're called Greeks, but essentially you've got Jews and the rest of the world. And they've all been believing in Jesus and they're figuring out how to get along. So the Jews grew up obeying the law, sacrificing, going to the temple, and no one else did. And so there's almost like a, mm, there's like a, sort of a, uh, an upper class and a lower class going on in the church. And, and Paul doesn't want that, nor does God. God's like, no, we've got, we've got just one line here. Like, uh, how many of you, well, I'm not going to do that. That's probably a bad idea. So some of us have been going to church a long time, and some of you have, it's relatively new to you. And we don't want to create a sense that like those folks, yeah, God's a little closer to them, that kind of thing. And God's trying to destroy that. But the law has been good. All those commandments in the Old Testament, the things that the Jewish people grew up with, they taught people, hey, what does it look like to imitate God? What is God's character really like? The law is really good. It just didn't save anybody. No one could earn their way before God. And, And that's what this passage is saying. But now, hey, there's a goodness that shows up apart from trying to obey the law. Like, there's there's a goodness. And what that goodness is, it's having faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the goodness is. You see, it's been uh, in, in, the, in the scriptures here, and, and we kind of fall on that too. Sometimes in our relationship with God, it's effort, 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 effort. Like, we just got to try. I got to try. I got to try. And then, you know what comes with that? Uh, shame, 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 and shame as we fail. And we have this awful guilty conscience. And, and whereas we are commanded to obey, what this passage is saying is just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's where the that's the goodness that we trust. So imagine a child, and maybe this is your story, you maybe you tried out for a team, or maybe you did a spelling bee, or you had like that big moment, whatever, and and, and, and it didn't turn out the way you wanted it to turn out, right? Now the awful dads in movies go, You're awful. You did a terrible job, right? That's one way to approach it. And then there's the mom who goes, But I love you, you gave it your best, I'm so proud of you, right? And then there's also, but you know what? Whether you get it or not, you're mine and I love you, right? I mean, those are various approaches. We fall into those traps with God, too. Like, when we, uh, when we sin, we think God's going, you're terrible. What terrible? I'm just, just not proud of you at all. And then it's good to hear, well, you gave it a shot. But what we really need is, but you're mine and I love you no matter what. That's your identity in Christ. That's who you are now under Jesus. You see, when you have faith in what Jesus has done, all his goodness becomes yours. We try, we try, we try to obey. And we don't succeed because we're sinful. 
But when you have faith in Jesus, he takes his goodness, he just gives it to you. Theologically, Paul calls that imputation. He imputes his goodness to you. And that happened because he obeyed perfectly and we did not. He died and we deserved that punishment. But he rose again to give us hope. And so the grief is good. Your grief over sin is good. Because it's supposed to show you that you need a goodness greater than yours. And so we try to walk out of shame because we've got lots of shame built up after all this trying. We feel awful. We feel dirty. We feel unloved. But when Jesus' goodness is given to you, all that shame goes away because God interacts with you like you've got the goodness of Jesus. And we have to remind ourselves of that. Like when you fail this afternoon, like when you sin big this afternoon, like, yes, we, we confess our sins. We do. But we don't have to walk around in guilt and shame for the rest of the week, or at least the end of the day. Like, no, 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 no. God's forgiven you. You've got his, Jesus' goodness. So the grief is good. We, we confess our sins, but we know that the goodness we have is the goodness of Jesus, which is always better than your goodness. His goodness is all. Sometimes we want to do it on our own. Like, I'd rather earn it because we're, we're hardworking or we're goal setters, whatever the case may be. And listen, we're called to obey, but the only goodness you've got to be counting on is the goodness of Jesus. That's the only one that lasts. That's the only one that will endure. Okay, let's talk about I'm a hot mess. Okay, I'm a hot mess. Now, we're going to have to dig in here. So this is a, this is a, there's a lot going on, okay? Because we're going to have to understand what's going on with Paul and, and the Roman church, and then we're going to understand what's going on with us. Okay, so I'll take it piece by piece. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you've ever learned the Roman road, which is a four-verse way to explain the gospel to non-believers, this is where you start. Like, we're all a hot mess. Every one of us. But we can't forget the first part. There's no distinction. No distinction whatsoever. Paul was speaking to his crowd. The Jewish believers who had grown up trying to obey and go to the temple, and then the Greeks and the Gentiles who had never done that. And he's looking at that crowd, like I'm looking at you, and he goes, there's no distinction. You're all a mess. Hey, you who grew up going to the temple and sacrificing, like, you fell short. And for you, who never did any of that religious stuff, you fell short. There's no distinction. You don't get to be the upper class. You don't get to be the lower class. You don't get to be the super Christians, and you get to be the minor league Christians. There's none of that. There's none of that. Listen, there's a lot of denominations that I disagree with. I'm in this denomination because I agree with it. But I don't get to look down on them because we have theological differences. Do you have faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin? Then it's brother and sister right? And that's the sin I fall into sometimes, right? You get into these theological debates, and I go, less than, which is awful, 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 awful of me to ever do. And you do it as well. We're champions at looking down at other people. If you want to know what we're really good at, it's really good at deciding who's worse than us. Really, we are. But we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Remember our call to worship? What's the chief end? What are we trying to do? It's to glorify God, right? That's what we're trying to do. We all fell short. Every one of us. The folks in the news, whether you watch CNN or Fox and whichever take they give you, whoever they tell you today is the worst person, they're no, le- they're no more worse than you are in their need. Like, we all fell short. Every one of us. It's a good place to start. 
It's a great place to start. It's the biblical intended place to start. I'm going to talk a lot. You know, we've talked a lot about sharing the gospel. I mean, Romans 3 has done that. And we're going to talk about that a lot in Romans. We are. This is where we start. The humility when we speak to a non-Christian is, I am a mess. I'm not saying your sin was greater. I'm saying I needed Jesus just as much as you need Jesus. Let's keep going. All have fallen sin and fallen short of the glory of God, and excuse me, and all are justified by his grace as a gift. We talked about that earlier. Like we can't even take credit for the faith we have. Like God gave it to you. It's a gift. If you believe in Jesus, God gave you the ability to believe in Jesus. That's how bad our falling short was. Right. Excuse me. Through the redemption of Jesus, we have faith in the gift of forgiveness of Jesus. All of a sudden, I'm falling apart here. Verse 25. <clears throat> I'm going to take a sip. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. You guys remember our definition of propitiation? Propitia is that hair-growing thing that we men use, but that's always what I always think when I hear propitiation. Here's the definition of propitiation. It's a great word. It's a sacrifice of atonement that satisfies the wrath of God. If, you've got, if you're note-taking, I'll send it out in the uh, Sunday recap. It's a great word to know. It's a sacrifice of atonement that satisfies the wrath of God. So God is holy and just, and he rightfully punishes sin. He does. And he has wrath against sin. Propitiation is a sacrifice that looks at you and removes all of that wrath off of you. Every bit of it. Like it got satisfied. The punishment that your sin deserved moved away. God satisfied. You have been judged for your sins. And it fell on Jesus. Because he made a sacrifice that atoned for that. He atoned for it. So I love the word propitiation. I like that this translation uses the big words. Sometimes we just got to own it. Because when you are feeling guilty from verse 23, that I fell short, I feel guilty, and you go and confess your sins, you need to go, I don't need to keep feeling guilty anymore. There's no shame for me, because all the wrath that that sin deserved moved away. Moved away. The secret sin of four years ago that you never shared with your spouse, and you still feel guilty about you need to be honest with your spouse. But the sacrifice and the wrath of that sin moved away. That's why you can share it with your spouse. The guilt of whatever your, your childhood was or your pre-Jesus time was, and you, won't, you, you can't walk away from the shame of that sin, have you confessed it? Then the wrath of God's been moved away. It's been moved away. It's not on you anymore. It's not. See, this life is not just believing in Jesus in the beginning. It's learning how to apply what Jesus has done throughout your life. God does not intend for his children to live in shame or guilt. We confess those sins. All that wrath that God's got moved away. Now, God did all this to show two things. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins and it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. God did this to show his righteousness in the past and in the present. There's always a great question like, hey, what about those folks in the Old Testament? Jesus hadn't showed up yet, right? Have you ever thought about that? Well, they got saved the same way he did. They had faith uh, in a coming Savior, and we have faith in a Savior who's already come. But God waited in his patience to pour out wrath for their sin until Jesus got here. And then now, 
The payment of sin for your sins were put out in Jesus in the past. There's a past and present element going here. The big thing why I love in that is the word forbearance. And the word before, if you're, forbearance is not a word we use. You know what forbearance means? Just patience. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bear that. I'm going to put up with this. I'm going to do it patiently and lovingly. Like God is patient with his children. Because he knows what he's going to do. He's sovereign. He's decided what he's going to do with you. So he's going to be patient with you while you try to obey and try to understand Jesus. And he was patient with all of those saints in the Old Testament. You read what's going on in the Old Testament, there's some crazy stuff going on in the Old Testament. And he's patient with them because he knew Jesus was going to come. And then he's patient in the present because he's poured out all of his wrath on Jesus. He's patient with you because he's not going to punish you for your sins. You see, this is such the beginning place of the end of shame, the end of anxiety, the end of worry. You're freed up to have relationships with other people because you have finally begun to move away the guilt and the shame that you deal with God. See, so many of our present relationships are muddled because we think, well, I know God hates me, so I don't know why I should have a good relationship with this person. If God hates me, then I know this person's going to get tired of me. But once we get past that and we're like, no, 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 no. God's been patient with me. He's forgiven me. All that wrath moved off of me. I can actually risk having a relationship with another person because I know what grace, forgiveness, and patience look like. Paul wanted to deal with that in the Jew-Gentile context. For us, we need to deal with that in the us context, in an evangelistic context. We have so many people around us who don't know Jesus. You think you wrestle with shame? I'm not minimizing it. Try not knowing Jesus. It's damning. It is destroying. It's paralyzing. It's hopeless. We're struggling and we have Jesus. Your friends are struggling and dying without Jesus. And so the message of Jesus here is hope to a world that so desperately needs it. We just start in humility. Like I'm a hotter mess than you are. But God was gracious. He was patient. He poured out his love. I'm gradually learning to walk away from my shame. I want you to have that same hope as well. And some people are going to hate that message. And some people are going to break down and cry because they've been waiting to hear it. And we're going to be a church that proclaims it and sees it take fruit. Let's talk about humble bragging for a minute here. Uh, The definition of humble bragging, by the way, is just, it's a way to brag without shame, right? Because if someone just comes up to you and brags, you're like, I mean, it's not generally accepted very well. Like, it's just not comfortable. We're like, that's kind of out of place. So before we get to this, I looked up some of the worst uh, humble bragging tweets ever online. As you can imagine, that was fun. And they usually come down to parents bragging about their kids. So, for instance, the dad who tweeted, well, I'm broke now, but I never knew that having a nationally ranked teenage golfer would be so expensive. Ugh. So that's a way of saying, I'm so brag. My, my kid is just this national golfer. Oh, I'm so broke. But he wants to get it out there. Here's this one. Um, I was so busy today, I accidentally wore my daughter's jeans to work, and all my friends says, there's the crazy lady who can wear her daughter's jeans. Really? Really? And then one more. Well, I bought a potty training book, but I'll have to send it back because he potty trained himself. There goes 1999. 
That doesn't happen, by the way. No child randomly, maybe, maybe you've got that kid, just don't tweet about him. So we're inclined to, to brag in some form because we really do want some validation. Like we need someone to say, good job. Like, we, like growing up, like we pour out validation on our children, and at some point in time you just don't get it anymore. I don't know when that is. It's somewhere around the era of responsibility. You know, because when you're a kid, anything you do is, is Picasso, right? I mean, I mean, every piece of art is the greatest thing ever. And because we love our kids, we're excited about them. And then you become an adult, and there's no one walking around excited about your efforts. But yet we brag and boast because we want someone to say, good job. Verse 27, then what about boasting? It is excluded. It's excluded. I love it. It's not saying it's not allowed. He's not saying it's not commanded. It's like, it's just not part of the package. We left that out. It's excluded. It didn't make it into the package of Christianity. It didn't make it into the plan of salvation. It didn't make it into sanctification, which is when we try to be, be like Jesus. Like, Jesus didn't brag or boast. Everything he did was like, well, I just do what my father tells me to do. I just say what he told me to say. I just do his will. And it was legit. It was genuine. Like, you never read that and go, oh, that guy's humble bragging. Like, he's done. Like, it's just genuine character of Jesus. So bragging for us, it's just excluded. It almost eliminates the purpose of social media in and of itself. It's just not allowed in the Christian faith. By what kind of law? He's saying, why would you ever obey? I mean, excuse me, why would you ever brag? Excuse me, why would you ever boast? Because you obeyed the law? No, but by the law of faith. The only thing you have is faith in Jesus' works. He's like, so we don't get to brag because it's not like we obeyed a whole lot and we get to boast on that. We don't stand before God bragging or boasting of our obedience. That will never work. Verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Justified means your relationship with God is repaired. So this is what we hold. Your relationship with God is repaired apart from anything you did, apart from the works of the law. We hold that your relationship is fixed. Your shame is gone. Forgiveness has come. Love has poured out. Everything is restored. That which is broken has been repaired, all because you didn't do anything. That's the Christian faith. Sometimes when I preach this, I'm like, that doesn't really sound like Christianity. <laughs> At least not the one I hear a lot lately. And, and, and I have to remind myself of that as well. It's just that free. Like, we hold that your relationship with God was repaired, and you just didn't have anything to do with it. You just didn't obey to get it. Then he, Paul needs to talk about his church again. Verse 29, is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of Gentiles also? Yes, the Gentiles also. You've got to know how inflammatory that was. And because there was a group of people who just thought, well, God just loves us. And in that church, I'm sure there were Jewish people who had not yet believed in Jesus who were trying to figure that out. And he's saying, listen, God's not just your God. There's not a race that's excluded from God being their God. Like, there's no race that's excluded for the potential of that person having faith in God. Like, for us... We should be a church that looks out and say, well, there's not a race that's excluded. There's not a nationality that's excluded. God is the God of those who have faith in Jesus. And we only have faith because he gave us that faith. So we should look at each other with great humility. 
we should care about the interactions of multi-ethnic interactions. We need to make sure no one feels lesser than because of their nationality or their race, ever. Our ears should perk up when those conversations are happening. And we should be the people who feel like we actually have some measure of solution in this broken world. Because God has said, no, no. The Caucasians didn't get the leg up on this matter. They just didn't. Verse 30, since God is one. Of course, every faith, excuse me, every race is going to be united because God is one and his people are intended to be one. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith, but we then overthrow the law by faith, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. He's like, listen, I'm not telling you obedience is not important. You're just not going to get saved by it. You're not going to earn before God by it. But we're called to obey. Because obedience is becoming more like Jesus. And that's the tension of the Christian faith. I'm called to obey, but I can't count on that obedience. And if I disobey, I don't need to heap shame upon myself, but I'm still called to obey. It just doesn't make you right before God. Now, having said all that, I want to make the the slow descent here towards a conclusion. There's a lot there. If you have questions about this passage, please grab me. Uh, We can meet morning, day, night, whenever you want, and let's talk about this. Because there's there's a lot theologically going on there, and this is really about as much as you can handle in a 35-minute sermon. Uh, But fortunately, this theme is continued next week. But let's move towards our conclusion. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we end our sermons with a truth, an application, and an action. That truth is the answer to the big picture question. An application is, let's live this way. And that action is just, let's go do this, okay? So our big picture question was, you know, why am I happy? I didn't do anything. Or why do I feel better? I didn't do anything. And we looked at the good grief. Uh, We looked at the hot mess and the humble brag. Here's our truth. The one true hope of the imperfect world is that we can boast in the fact that God has given us the goodness we need, the goodness of Jesus. That's it. We boast in Jesus. That's the only boasting that's allowed. And the hope of the world is to get through all the the mired mess of boasting that exists and just say, the only boasting I have is what Jesus has done. That's it. And the wonderful thing is, that's constant. The challenge to that is how to live so we're not going like this. But the constance of Jesus, it's intended to kill our tendency to boast. We boast, why? Because we need validation. We don't have to do that. We're validated in Jesus. Application. Instead of live knowing this week, I have live boasting. Live boasting that you have every single thing you need because Jesus has given you the payment for your guilt, the goodness that you need, and the hope of eternal joy. There's nothing that you don't, there's nothing that you need that you don't have. Granted, some of us have bills to pay, money at the end of the week, we need to eat, we need food. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about eternally, you existentially, you as a person, you lack nothing in Jesus Christ. The goodness that you need, you have all of that. The punishment for your sin, you have all of that. The hope of transformation in heaven, you have all of that. You lack no good thing. So when we struggle with the earthly needs, when we struggle with relationship needs, health needs, food needs, job needs, what's our hope in the midst of that chaos? That I have everything I need as a person. I have everything I need in my relationship with God. That's the one thing that we trust. Action. Oversimplified. Action. 
boast in Jesus, with an exclamation point, boast in Jesus. And you go, how do I do that? How do I boast in Jesus? Uh, what I've got here, I'm, it's not going to be up in the overhead. Um, I, I will send it out in the Sunday recap. For some of you note takers, um, I have 11 points. That's a bad idea. But I will give you 11 quick points on how we as a community are going to boast in Jesus. Okay? And then I'll email them to you. But yeah, it's way too many points. But I just kept, I couldn't stop. So I've been reading a book by Ed Welsh. It comes from his new book. And I really, really like what he talks about as a community together. And so it comes from there. So um, disregard, if you don't like Ed Welch, disregard that. Just listen to the 11 points, okay? So here we go. Boasting in Jesus, 11 points. Here's how we're going to do it. One, remember that we have the Spirit. I haven't gotten to talk about the Spirit in this passage. The Spirit is God's gift to you that you have his, his person indwelling. He helps you obey. He helps you to understand scriptures. He helps you to confess. He helps you have relationships. You have the Spirit. Remember, in your moment of hopelessness and I can't do type things, remember, you have the Spirit. When you think, I'm just too comfortable with my shame, I'm not ready to give my shame up, remember, you have the Spirit. Two, uh, move toward and greet one another. Now, I get it. Some of us are extroverts, introverts. Uh, your Enneagram might be a four. You're, I mean, there's so many other, you know, I get it. There's so many ways that we all categorize ourselves. I understand that. Move towards and greet one another because that's a commandment. So exclude your personality type profile that you live in and you're commanded to move towards one another and greet one another as a community. Someone, when you go, hey, how you doing, is going to way open up and you're going to surprise you and tell you everything about what's going on. The other day I asked someone how they were doing and an hour and a half later I had not spoken. And I'm not joking. And I I high everything. I mean, I hyperbole everything. I'm not joking. That person needed someone to speak to, and I'm glad I got a chance to. Sometimes you're casual, hey, how you're doing? You're going to get an answer. Sometimes that's you. You're going to find someone you trust, and you're going to open up to them. Three, let's have thoughtful conversations. I, I, this year, I just don't care about the NCAA sports anymore. I don't know if I care about college basketball anymore at all. That's fine. You know, uh, you know I, I, we can talk sports, we can talk Marvel movies, we can talk all those things. It's fine. Or whatever it is that is your little paradigm. I get it. I've got mine, you've got yours. But let's have thoughtful conversations. Like, hey, what did you learn this week? What a great, no one asked you that last week. Maybe, but just, just hey, you know, what did you learn last week? And someone might go, I have no idea what I, I mean, it would be a way for the other person to even to begin thinking about a conversation of a little bit of depth, but we need to. We need to. Four, see the good and enjoy one another. You're all a bunch of messed up people. You're a wreck, all of you. I am too. In this, we've got the goodness of Jesus. Let's try to see the good in one another. Don't worry, we'll talk about sin in a minute. See the good in one another. Five, walk together, tell stories. I mean literally walk together. Ask someone to go for a walk and just say, hey, how did you and your spouse meet? Hey, t- tell, me, you know, tell me a story about when your son was a teenager. Like, just tell stories. Like, get to know each other. Six, have compassion during trouble. I like to fix things. So when you tell me what's wrong, I would like to tell you what you're doing wrong. Some of you are like that. Sometimes we just need to have compassion. 
Sometimes you just go, wow, that is awful. Seven, pray during trouble. It's like, just go, we should pray right now. And most people are going to be like, okay. Like, we should just pray right now. That sounds terrible. Can we pray right now? Most people will say yes. And even if they want to say no, they'll just accept the awkwardness most of the time. Okay? Like, we should just pray right now. Eight, be alert to Satan's devices. You have an enemy. You have an enemy. Scripture's very clear about it. He would like to derail you from glorifying God. When things kind of go weird and left, you go, you know, God, just protect me. Like, when it seems really weird, like, God, I know you're in control, but this seems really weird. Protect me. Nine, let's talk about sin. Like, have conversations about sin. Find someone you trust and talk about sin. Two more. Help fellow sinners. What can I do to help you? Do you need me to call you tomorrow? Yeah, do you need verses? Do you need, what do you need? What can I do? And finally, keep the story in view. The big story. That's why we keep singing about heaven. We're part of the church. We're part of the kingdom of God. We're part of the kingdom of heaven. Like, this story ends well. We should have hope always. It might be miserable. It might be mired in a mess right now. But keep the big story in view. I'll send that out to you guys. Thank you for an 11-point sermon that you put up with at the end here. Let's pray that God's going to do something wonderful with this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are way more gracious than we ever deserve. We're more sinful than we're even aware. But Jesus Christ and his goodness has taken all of our sin, all of our shame. He took it upon himself. And we stand with the goodness of Jesus. Can we sing and celebrate? And we ask this in his name. Amen. You care about your business. That's why preformed and prepackaged approaches to marketing do not help. Because of that, CTP Marketing and Consulting seeks to understand you, your product, and your services. And they will partner with you in creating a customized approach to meet your marketing needs. Towards that end, CTP offers traditional print marketing, social media services, SEO, event coordination, campaign creation, fundraising, and a host of other services. Reach out to them today and see if this personal approach to marketing can help you grow your business. You can find them at ctpmarketplace.com or you can email them at admin at ctpmarketplace.com. That's admin at ctpmarketplace.com. Reach out to them today for their free evaluation and see if they can help you grow your business and help you meet your goals.